0: Vodka, 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love from amberunmask.com and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast. Uh, the website and sometimes the show are for adults only, but today is a family friendly endeavor. So um, we're kind of back into the swing of things. I didn't even realize that I had already put out a 100 episodes like several episodes ago. So we're sort of like post-celebrating a 100 here, even though we're like at a 100 and something. So uh, I hope you enjoyed all the coverage from the special edition NYC Comic Con that I delivered to your nerdy little hands a couple weeks ago. And uh, the, uh, I had recorded several of the panels there. So I hope you guys go and check those out. And today I'm talking um, about you know, stepping aside from comics to delve into a whole new world that I talk about about twice a year, and that's the world of gaming, and today's guest is Avanel Wing. Abby is one of the organizers of DexCon, which is one of the massive gaming cons held in beautiful Morristown, New Jersey. So, Abby, welcome aboard.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, Amber. Thank you for having me. Um,
0: So this is the 17th year of DexCon, am I right?
1: Uh this is the 17th Dexcon. We took a break between Dexcon 6 and Dexcon 7, so we've actually been doing this for 25 years.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, cuz it's the, uh, like when
0: I when I realized that on the uh you know the website it said Dexcon 17, I was like that is quite
1: a legacy to have under your you know under your belt. Uh I'm really proud of the fact that I've actually personally been involved now with 17 Dexcons.
0: So when um, I've only been going to the show, like I go to the, to the Dexcon and to Dream Nation, and I know that Double Exposure runs like a bunch of other things too. Uh, so my experience is, I get to the the beautiful Hyatt Hotel in Morristown, and it seems to literally take up the entire hotel in the most casual way possible. It's uh, you can see people that aren't con goers that um, still you know can just saddle up to the bar and whatever i mean it's just it's a beautiful hotel and it's a really great little town by the way if anybody's like not been there it's um there's plenty of pedestrian stuff to do just walking around the square and going to the all the eateries and everything like that so um did you start at the hyatt have you been there that this long or was it like uh, an evolution to get there
1: It was definitely an evolution to get there. We have moved hotels several times. Uh, As we expand, we outgrow hotels. Um, Sometimes hotels outgrow us. If they end up with uh, a significant enough chunk of business that is more corporate, they will decide that we just aren't their, their audience anymore. Um, And that's kind of what happened before we came to this hotel. Our last hotel was deciding that we just weren't the market that they were focused on anymore. And while we were having the, oh, changing hotels is the pits, because you have to convince everybody that the costumes aren't scary and the fake swords aren't scary. And yes, that's a dude in gold LeMay hot pants. Just, it's okay. He's okay. Um, Once we... We're sort of in the middle of this, oh, no, we're going to have to find a new hotel. The Hyatt actually reached out to us and they were like, no, no, it's fine. Come talk to us. And we're like, I don't know. Are you sure you understand what you're getting into? And our community is a really well-behaved, very considerate, very community-minded group. But there's always a little bit of anxiety and the Hyatt just took it all in stride and Understood exactly what we were looking for, and their staff just loves having us there and It's so nice to be there.
0: yeah my experience has always been so pleasant uh, The staff's always um really kind, you know, really friendly, and the volunteers of the show are are just amazing as well. I forget like I was lost looking for a room. And you know, got like a personal escort up to the room, not just like when I'm at New York Comic Con and a volunteer who's not really sure of something points and says, "Oh, go that way." You know, like <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was taken to where I needed to be. It was, you know, it's entirely different, you know, on a scale. But, um, but it, it's always been a really good show for me.
1: Well, and bad. good,
0: yeah. And I know that um, because there's uh, because gaming itself has different genres within it like there's you have your superheroes you have your fantasy and sci-fi and you've got your steampunk and you've got your horror people so there's like all these different people all coming together and i know that the, the steampunk conventions have had some hotel issues as well you know because they have they have like special uh circumstances like they need to be able to be outside and have Fire. I mean, you know,
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: uh, and I haven't seen that. I haven't seen anything quite quite that uh, elaborate at Dex Connor Dreamation. But I have enjoyed like the LARP is my favorite thing there. And you know, you could just be hanging out in the lobby when a horde of zombies comes your way. Yep. <laughs> um. So let's, uh, let's talk about some of the things that I don't know about. Um, I saw that the schedule is really filled with Pathfinder Society and Greyhawk Reborn. So what can you tell me about these things? Um,
1: you know, honestly, I will admit that the Greyhawk Reborn is something that is outside of my specific sphere of information. Uh, we have a coordinator that handles that. And so because there are a thousand plus events, I let someone else know what's happening with Greyhawk. Yeah, no, that's, and that's what I was wondering. I'm
0: like, how can they know all about this? Like, I know specifically about LARPing. Like, I can I can sit through, like, a and d session and kind of know what's going on, but I'm more of an observer of gaming. And, you know, I mean, the schedule that you have is incredible. And for anybody that's listening, if you get to this show and you go down this one hallway, it has printouts, and you've never seen anything like it. I mean, if if people like analysis and spreadsheets, this is, you, you know, where you need to go. It is wall, wallpapered with spreadsheets of the schedule, and everything is coded because it's like 24 hours of gaming. There is at any time something that you will want to do. So um, I don't know anything about Pathfinder and Greyhawk Reborn either, so um, – there, I just know that there's a ton of it. <laughs>
1: sure. So the, way, the reason we are able to do this, we are up to four conventions a year. We've got Dexcon, which is our flagship convention. We have Dreamation, which is fundamentally the, the little sister of Dexcon. We have two other conventions that have completely different focuses, plus we run a playtesting hall at Gen Con. So you can imagine that a lot of our lives go into the organizing and the coordination So there's no way for Vinny and I, our chairman tiny, uh, our director of operations or our vice chairman to know all of the pieces that go or the the minutiae of all the pieces that go into, for example, a Greyhawk Reborn campaign. And so we have an entire army of volunteers behind us who have their pulse on board gaming and what's coming out of Essen and what was hot at Con and... We have people who, you know, we've got something like um, 22, I think, different groups that are people who are responsible for running LARPs. And so they know they're exploring the edges of the genre. They are on the cutting edge of what's happening in LARP right now. Um, we have the indie game explosion where there are people who are independent game designers are bringing their stuff, who are publishing things, and so we have coordinators who stay on top of being aware of what's happening and bringing us things so that we aren't trying to be in every place all the time. Right. I love talking to those uh, indie
0: game creators because they – yes, they are there to to sell. I mean, they're there to sell their idea and their product, but some of them are there for testing. Right. So uh, they – you just, you know, can go up and they usually give like um, you know, I wouldn't say it's more than like 45 minutes of gameplay, but enough to introduce people to the the environment, to the characters and see how well things play out and if need be, they'll take your changes. They'll take your suggestions and and take it back and maybe come back next year and, you know, try to implement things in a new revision. So I think that's like an incredibly interesting opportunity for people who like the, the like, back-end development side of games. Like, you can go and, and not only play, but you're sort of a contributor in that way, that you're giving live feedback. And, you know, that's not something that you can do if you go to a monstrous event to check out the latest thing that Sony has. Like, by the time you're in beta for... For Sony, there's, there's not a whole lot of feedback you're going to be able to give.
1: We really pride ourselves on being a launching pad for people that have a great idea and just need sort of a nudge in the right direction to find their footing in the industry and to make the right connections to make their game a reality. And we really enjoy seeing what's the brand new and what people are working on. We actually have so many small companies that have asked us for demo tables to interact directly with their audience at DexCon that we had to completely rearrange how we're setting up the front lobby to make sure that everybody who wants exposure gets the exposure they want. That's really cool. And it's a really good uh, compliment to
0: when you, you have like the big stars of gaming come out. Like I, am not sure if it was DexCon or which event it was, but like you had like John Kovalec from Munchkin, right? And Steve
1: Jackson out last year.
0: Steve okay. Jackson, okay. I mean, these are you know that's these are names that you see on the packaging, right? <laughs> so, um, so it's like every single level, there's um, there's somebody there for you to talk to and ask if you are interested in building your own game, how you would start that, and the process of it, and um, people want to talk. They want to answer your questions.
1: Absolutely, Metatopia, our fall event, is the one that is more specifically targeted towards people who want to become game designers. It's more of a industry show and a professional development convention. Um, but Dexcon really is the, the event where you get to sit down at the gaming tables and play with these people, and they show up and they're players like you, and they want to participate in you know the Fate games, or they sit down and play midnight fiasco, and you get to sit down at the table with them yeah, yeah.
0: and um, you know, and if you always wanted to to break out your own cloak and sword to do that, you can you can do that <laughs> can, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing it's although remarkable by the time that I get there, people are starting to get really tired yeah. because I get there after work, and um, so it's I see a lot of people that are in pajamas and they're gaming. I'm like, well, you don't get more comfortable and casual than this show. <laughs> because you can be in your corset for a few hours, and at some point you want to take your corset off.
1: Right. And people are just as happy to see you at the gaming table when you show up in your PJs. They're like, okay, and now we're going to sit down and play this.
0: Yeah, it's it's really cool. And like I said about, you know, that it's it's family friendly. Is there's The, the kids, you can tell, they sort of end up having their own little community and knowing each other and, um, and plus some, of, some people attend as bigger groups like the LARPers. They, um, they know that it's been historically a really safe environment. So
1: we, we work really hard on that and our security department takes it very seriously um, and if somebody is being a problem, we usually are aware of it before it turns into a bigger issue. Um, We work very hard on making sure that we know who the parents are that have kids with them. Um, We actually this year are trying something a little new, and some of our events are marked specifically as encouraging kids and welcoming kids, and there's some kids teaching kids to board game events that I'm really excited about. Um, Clark and Amanda Valentine have really worked with me to spearhead making sure that not only are there games where kids are welcome, but there are games where kids are encouraged to participate.
0: That's really great to, to hear that that's a, a new introduction this year because I think it's important. I know that at some of the comic shops, they'll, they'll take that step as well. They'll say, okay, well, it's game day, but we want the kids uh, to know that it's maybe, you know, it's sort of like the, uh, the competition f- might feel a little too stressful if they're with people. Even just a few years too old for them to be playing with, you, they, just, they need to feel like the anxiety is not there and that it's okay for them to just chill and be a kid.
1: Right. Well, and there's a difference between playing a game with a kid where you have to understand that they're going to pop up out of the chair and walk around the table twice before they're ready to take their turn. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I have a hard time sitting still for a three-hour board game, you're not going to have a seven-year-old that can sit there for and be focused on it at the same level, but they do participate. And I want them to feel like there's a space where they can engage in the community and be part of what we're doing in a way that is age-appropriate.
0: Right. And at the same time, because this is such a big show for
1: 24 hours that goes on and on there's plenty of adult stuff to do absolutely we also made sure that the kids stuff was timed in such a way that there's time for people to have breakfast there's time for lunch and then in the evenings it's you know more adult focused scheduling so that we you know we're assuming that kids are going to bed at a certain point and we don't need to be as aware of scheduling for them during those hours right and um,
0: I don't know. Have you ever thought or gotten the feeling that kids are afraid of any of the costumes or anything like that? No, never. Did, they're okay with it. Okay. I've never I,
1: had. You know, I've had shy kids, but okay. um, our community is so receptive to kids in the space that if if we were to ever have an instance the likelihood that the person in the costume would take off their hat and get down on kid level and be like, no, I'm just a dude in a costume is incredibly high. And I can't imagine that it would be an uncomfortable situation for very long because our community polices itself. And is like, Oh, there's a scared kid. Let me let them know that it's just like someone on TV. I'm just wearing a costume.
0: Okay. Cause I know that, um, cause I help organize events too. And one of the things that we have to stipulate is that, um, Because and it wasn't like our own thing. It like came from parents who are customers of the store. um, Was that they didn't want scary costumes around? And you know, if you're doing an event in October, that's kind of sometimes really hard to ask.
1: Yeah, we've never never run into that. But the event that we have in um, in late late October, early November, is the industry event, So we've never run into that with a, with a convention. Uh, but I, I can see where that's a hard thing to work around. Is, is there,
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I got a little bit of feedback. Um, is there LARPing for kids or is that something that kids do or do they just like wear costumes once in a while and run around?
1: Some of the LARPs are kid friendly. Um, if someone is interested in finding kid friendly LARPs, you just go to the website and there's a link for the schedule and a link to LARPing. And um, you look for things that say all ages and beginners welcome. Those are kind of the two current keywords that indicate that kids are welcome. And some of our GMs are really good at getting kids involved. Uh, There's a homestuck LARP, which is targeted at the teen-tween sort of age range. And it's actually being run by a 14-year-old who's working diligently as we speak to finish up her character sheets for a 30-person LARP. That is huge. I see
0: those characters at every convention. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know anything about it. I just know that, like, my, my best friend's daughter is, like, super into it, too. He's like, you know, he has to know what it is. He's like, I can't believe that I know this. I'm like, of course you know this. You have <laughs> you have a teenage daughter.
1: <laughs> I I keep crying, and what I end up saying to my niece is, I think I'm just too old for this. <laughs>
0: and then you know more along the lines of things that i do know about is the burlesque show right i know that this at least is the first time that i've heard of the d20 burlesque coming to any place that i could drive to so i was like really excited to see that on the schedule um i know it's july 4th at midnight is there was there uh any concern about scheduling because of a holiday
1: uh we did have a conversation about it they were a little concerned and um you know obviously there's a lot of things happening in new york city on the holiday weekend um but we are having an interesting effect and it's something that we've seen time and again that our attendance actually gets a bump from happening on the holiday weekend And so we talked about it, and next year we're also on the holiday weekend, and we'd made the decision that if it didn't go well this year, we were going to move them to Thursday or Saturday next year. Um, Or I guess Thursday, whichever ends up being off the 4th of July. Um, But once we started getting registrations, we saw that there wasn't really a concern because they're not seeing any dip in numbers at all.
0: Does Morristown have? Um, do, do you know if the town itself is having any festivities? Because it's a pretty historic town for New Jersey.
1: Uh, they they always have something going on. It's they take their colonial history very seriously, very very seriously.
0: So I figured that there was a good shot that if you know people were running around as paladins and zombies, that they might be seeing George Washington run through the park as well.
1: <laughs> I keep I keep trying to find like the core. Reenactor group in Morristown to pull them in. Uh, I, I, I think it'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> no luck so far, I mean, but we're working on it. If you're listening and you're part of that reenactment core, come see me. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because I mean, I heard that Ben Franklin was wandering through Wizard World. So that's awesome. You know, it's, if Philadelphia can have a Ben Franklin, I think, you know, our, our double exposure gamers would love to see a George Washington. Um, so let's see, uh, there's lots of LARP, there's burlesque. So yeah, again, I'm like really excited to see the burlesque and the, oh, the, one of the things that that caught my eye, um, and hopefully you can explain better what this is, was the, there's, there's all these challenges on the schedule and one of them was called the $5,000 interactive puzzle challenge. And it's, it sounds incredibly, um, like, uh, tense, like you get locked in a room and you have to, uh, you have to f- figure something out just based on evidence that you're given.
1: <laughs> this is going to be the third year that Vinny runs the Interactive Puzzle Challenge, and it is really intense. You, you show up at 8.30 in the morning. At 9 a.m., the doors to the room lock. No one, no one leaves. No one enters. You don't get any cell phones. You don't get to keep your watch. There's a clock on the wall that counts down the time. And if you, as a community, solve the puzzle within the first hour, um, it's a $5,000 prize. Each hour after that, the, uh, the prize money ticks down. So at 10 o'clock, between the 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock hour, if the puzzle is solved, it's $4,000. And there's a mechanism built into the challenge to determine how the prize money is split. Um, and it is absolutely intense um it is it integrates all sorts of different puzzle components um have you seen the advertisements or participated in the locked in a room thing that's hot in new york city right now no i haven't seen them oh there's there is a company that literally uses like they found a way to monetize their office space after hours. And they have these puzzles that lead you to a clue that leads you to a key that gets you out of the room. And you go and you pay them like 20 bucks to participate in this thing. You get a team of like five or eight people together. And it's very similar to that, except that it is a series. It is more than one puzzle that all interconnects to give you a, an answer. And, I'm interested to see because last year's team, last year's competitors, did better and came closer to solving the puzzle than the year before. And so I'm thinking this year might be the year that someone gets it.
0: Do you think that people um, most easily decide to attack the puzzle as a group versus, um, you know, any loners that just say, no, I'm going to solve this mystery on my own?
1: There is no circumstances that I can imagine a loner winning. Uh, The first year we ended up with a room full of loners and they all sort of milled around each other and worked at cross purposes. And I wandered in and out a couple of times through the back door and was like, wow, they are all like off chasing different things. And I don't know that they're ever going to get two pieces put together at the same time. Um, and that's actually why I think last year's group came closer. Is that they split up into factions and were actively divvying out tasks and working on things together. And so maybe this year's group will realize that they can't do it as loners and they need to coordinate. It sounds
0: like a, like the best structure to handle that, like you know, like a. Survivor reality show type of situation, but you're doing it based on on a mystery, yeah. and and you don't know what what the puzzle even is that you're solving. I mean, the when you go to those um, you know real live action mystery dinner things, you you know you see it before you. You see the somebody get murdered, or, or the, you know there's a body somewhere, whatever whatever the thing is. But in this case, is it just that you get you're just getting these objects.
1: Yeah. So the, the puzzles follow known puzzle construction principles. So if you've ever done a, a cryptogram, you might recognize certain components and be like, oh, I understand what this is. Um, Vinny has actually spent years studying the, the art of puzzling and of those types of brain bending challenges. And so um, he pulls all of his experience and all of his knowledge together into one room. And so there may be a number of puzzles sitting next to an object puzzle where you have to figure out how the objects fit together. Um, and I will tell you there, are, there is a mountain of props that is probably six foot tall and six foot across in my living room right now for this puzzle challenge.
0: That sounds so intriguing. Yeah. I think
1: I I would fail spectacularly. Like I
0: I I'd, I'd be the person like clawing at the door, you know, like I can't
1: do it. I just can't. <laughs> we get a bunch of people that are really intense about it and it's fun to watch them start to unfold it. That's
0: good. Well, you know, I think um when people like gaming, I think they it's it's a, sort of like a different mindset. They they like to um enjoy working towards something not just the answer
1: right right
0: and that's you know that's what uh certainly what the rpgs are all about yes yeah. you know you might be after the the ancient talisman of you know tibet or something that, in a pyramid but the ga- that's not about that's it's not what it's about like it's about getting there right Um, the, now I know that the, um, previous layouts you had, you had like the, the game developers in the front lobby and you were saying that the, you restructured that a little bit and, um, then the LARP meetups were in all different places and then the, the lower level had the miniatures. Yes. And I didn't know that there was any actual gameplay going on there, if it was just people who like those sorts of things just kind of hanging out and chatting. That's all it looked like when I would go down there. And it was spectacular. I mean, you feel like Godzilla when you walk down
1: there. <laughs> uh, so there actually is gameplay. We have tabletop wargaming, and then we've got Double Exposures uh, Arena, which is a giant felt. Battleground that we put different types of uh, combat using different wargaming systems on, um, and one of the one one of the events that's happening this year is there's actually a Star Trek air battle that is happening, and we've collected miniatures, we've made some of the uh, ships that we couldn't get to the right scale, um, and all of that is in the wargaming schedule. I'm gonna pop open the arena schedule it's going to make a little bit of noise sorry um so any of our arena battles are big scale things that are just a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of love goes into crafting those events i i find it bogglesome because i will go down there at nine in the morning and people will be playing in the first slot And I will go down at six at night and they are still there playing and they are just so focused and, you know, their armies are painted with such joy and such care. And it really is this intensely focused uh, style of gaming. I noticed that too. um, Because it's,
0: again, it's not always about, it's not always about winning anything. It's that there's, so much care and attention that goes into whether it's something that they can construct by hand or if it's the little pewter things that they're painting. Um, And then they, you know, gathering all the environment, you know, like the different grass and trees and um, vehicles and and stuff like that. It's the sort of the people who like models obviously are going to like miniatures, but then miniatures serves this other purpose as well for more than display. If you want to, if you want to do more, right. And there's, you know, and then there's this gameplay aspect of it. So since I've, I'm, I'm used to seeing the games where, like you said, you had like the, the green uh, layout f- for, for grassy looking stuff and mountains and everything. Um, so if you're doing a Star Trek thing, are you developing some sort of battleground for that that would look like a, a planet landscape or just like a black uh, space type of thing?
1: I think that for this year they're just accepting that the arena is green and because they've been focused on building the models. But there was definitely some intense conversation in my living room about how to convert the arena into a star field. Okay. Because okay. that would be pretty cool. But I,
0: on the one hand, when I think about seeing spaceships against green, it really makes me think about movie making. Right. So I – if I were to see that it wouldn't jar me at all. I would just be like, Oh, you know, (laughs) you know, so that you can take a picture of it and then remove the green. (laughs) Now, um, so for our our last little bit here, I, one of the things I was wondering is um, since you're the organizer, I wanted to ask specific questions that I think only somebody who's uh, a staff member might be able to answer. Do you, do you know like how precisely how many attendees that you get?
1: Um, we have seen a significant increase over the last. So moving into the Hyatt Morristown has been really good for us. Um, the combination of being connection connected to the community, and the fact that all of the food that's within walking distance, the fact that the hotel works with us so hard to keep rooms affordable. Um, The fact that the space is affordable and we have not needed to increase our badge prices significantly over the last 10 years has been a really big deal. And so we're expecting about 1,500 people this year.
0: Okay. Now in your registration process, because I know other conventions do this for basically for their own analytical reasons. Do you have any um, way to determine the, demographics by gender or by age?
1: Um, We don't. So one, I don't tend to collect the information if I'm not going to use it. And in the past, we haven't seen a lot of value to it. We're getting a lot more of that question from potential sponsors. So we might in the future. Um, So a lot of our Uh, demographic information is sort of more just because we know the community very well and we keep an eye on who's showing up and who isn't. Is there a specific demographic question that you have?
0: Well I I was specifically curious about the you know gender ratios and that the the ages seem to be I don't know it always seems to be people like 30s and, and older and then like kids running around. So um, and they're not like unsupervised running around like this is the one place where I've never had to deal with like pesky kids. I'll say that. Um, But the uh, the the male to female to other ratio is something that I've just started learning about taking notice of because I've been sitting through some panels about, you know, transgender creators and transgender cosplayers. And uh, and so I just gender keeps popping up these
1: days. Uh, so we are um, acutely aware of the fact that there are a bunch of conventions out there that do a truly terrible job of creating safe and inclusive spacing space. And so we work really hard to make sure, for example, in the conference center, which is part of the hotel space that we use, I actually make the bathrooms unisex. And we put up a sign that basically says, we don't care where you pee. We like you anyway. Please pick the facility that makes you most comfortable. And if you have cis privilege, we suggest that you switch it up and use the other bathroom occasionally. Um, and I deliberately cover up the gendered signs. I The first time I did this, I went exploding around the corner, ran into the bathroom, and stopped dead and went, oh, that's a urinal. And then went on with my business. And so I understand that for some people it's a little uh, startling for me. The first time I ran into the bathroom and went, oh, an, a urinal. I was like, I'm in the wrong room. Wait, no, I did this. This was my idea. Um, so we, are, we don't collect that sort of demographic information. And I don't think that that demographic information is necessarily always valid because people's self definitions shift. Um, And certainly we we give space for people to explore identities that they might not be able to explore in their real life and to try things on and see if it actually fits. Um, And we really, we don't put up with harassment. We don't put up with people being mouthy at somebody that really doesn't need it and doesn't need the aggression or the microaggression. And we work really hard to educate people. So if I walk through and I hear someone say, oh, that's so gay, or uh, using other derogatory terms, I'll pull them to the side and be like, okay, here's why that's problematic. Could we avoid it? Um, So I don't have specific demographic information, but rather than, um, like, I've been spending my energy on the, the practical solutions and making sure that people know and doing outreach saying, hey, I saw in g that you said that you're really anxious about gaming conventions because of your gender identity. Why don't you come and work with us? And we will build a wall around you, and then you can wander out at your own speed, at your own pace, at your own comfort, and become part of the community in a way that you can control. So as you get more comfortable, you can venture further from the registration desk or con suite or staff suite. That's like the most
0: remarkable thing that's been happening this year. And it's usually the smaller shows that are willing to do that. And I think that's just, it's so gracious and it's human. It's just so
1: human. It breaks my heart to imagine somebody staying at home, wishing that they could be at a convention and staying away because of something that they have no control over and they didn't choose. And if I can fix that for them, I'll give them the badge and I'll put them behind the registration table and I'll introduce them to a bunch of people who accept today's gender presentation and accept who they are today and want them to be part of what we're doing. And it it makes me so proud of our community that when someone shows up and I say, look, you know, I'm bringing in someone that's got a little bit of anxiety. They're like, Oh, we got this. We've done this. No sweat. It's... it seems
0: like there's no better place uh for people like you said to to sort of try to feel freer in being themselves than at something that embraces role playing because you know i'm I'm not a you know level fourteen paladin or mage or whatever either, and you know if I'm going to try to blend in into a world that's protected like you said you're in these walls right people people are not going to make fun of you for whatever your
1: thing is and it's time and it's a space outside of time it has no impact on your daily life i find camp especially campaign play larps really interesting to watch um i've seen it happen in my own campaign where we've had kids come in and they get to try different things and i've seen actual Experimentation. I'm going to play this villain and I'm going to be this raging asshole and I'm just going to be awful and manipulative and insulting and I'm going to see how the world treats me. And it's not always conscious or it'll be, you know, this time I'm going to roll up this character that's a real sweetheart. And they actually play with how it feels to have the world respond to them on these giant, exaggerated macro levels. And then they get to put it away and go out to dinner with their friends at the diner and it's done. But they've had that experience of being the villain or being the outsider or being the leader. And I've watched over the years, I've had the luxury and the privilege of watching kids really sort of refine their sense of self based on these experiences at role-playing tables and in LARPs where they've gotten to see how people respond and adjust accordingly. And it's really profound. It is. it is.
0: And it's not, you know, and it's not even a thing for awkward, you know, teenagers or something like that. Like, I, I went and sat through one of the the supervillain LARP. Right. And I'm somebody who's really comfortable speaking when I know what I'm supposed to be saying. Right. So I never had theater training. I painted the sets and, and, and built stuff for theater. I, I didn't act ever, and I never did improv. So I was there just trying to cover the the session from a, a press perspective, and they are like, no, sit. I'm like, oh, my God, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat, and they pulled me in, and, I, and it took a real while for me to just say, okay, well, this is my character, and I'm, you know, this bitchy self-important you know supervillain, and it was it was a strange experience uh, but, you know and yet really really useful because I don't go to board meetings and have to stand up in front of people that's not what I do but I can you know but I can grab a microphone and talk about something that I'm comfortable with like comic books or something you know um, so it was It's the sort of thing where there are skill sets that I think we need in life that we're not necessarily taught.
1: I played in Lizzie Stark's Mad... Lizzie Stark brought Mad About the Boy over from Nordic LARP and ran it October two years ago. And I am still talking about the ways that game changed me and the things that game taught me about myself. And at the point that I played, I'd been LARPing for 20 years. And I came out of that game shaken to my core. And it was absolutely transformative because it challenged my sense of self. And it was an all-women game. There were only a few men on staff, but the entire campsite, for the most part, was 45 women and three or four men that were doing support positions like cooking. And the experience was so challenging to my paradigm that I'm actually a better organizer and a more compassionate community leader because I've had that experience and because the game was so intense for me. I want to write that down because I had never heard of that one before. It It was amazing. There's a lot of material because it was the first Nordic LARP which is a specific style of LARP that started, obviously, in Nordic countries. And it's a it's less mechanics-based and more storytelling and character-based, and it explores themes, and there's, there's like an entire study of what Nordic LARP is available on the Internet. But it was the first run of a major Nordic LARP on U.S. soil, and so there's a lot of um, information on the Internet about our specific run of the game.
0: That brings up another another question since we're talking about um, gender diversity um, it's because we're in Morristown, um, not the most diverse city and, and that you can think of um, Have you gotten any feedback about other
1: like ethnic diversity incorporation? Uh, we have we've worked very hard to give gamers that are gamers of color or gamers from diverse backgrounds space to talk about their experiences. Um, We, our fourth convention, Maelstrom actually went out of its way to talk about social justice and to put social justice front and center in the conversation. So, um, you know, there is this conversation and this is this awareness that historically and traditionally, many aspects of gaming thought of themselves as mm, relatively affluent white men who had the financial ability to buy gaming materials. Um, and that's sort of the impression that many people have of the industry. That's never been my experience of the industry from a first-person perspective. If I step back and look at it from a broader perspective, I can see the trends and the patterns. Um, Double Exposure's events, one, because we're so LARP-heavy, and LARP pulls in people from all sorts of areas and really fascinates people. We get a younger crowd, and the younger groups of gamers, in my experience, have sort of a nonchalance about diversity, Um, and that is really encouraging to me. That's entirely anecdotal. But we also work on reaching out to communities and programs that serve underprivileged populations and make sure that they know, you know, there's a library program that comes out to us and they bring a bunch of kids that are gamers of color and they've jumped in and they've been with us for years and they're now bringing a younger batch of kids in. So again, in addition to acknowledging that it is a less diverse hobby than would be representative of the people we live and work with every day, We are working on changing it and making sure that if someone walks in they aren't like oh I'm I'm the only black chick in the room. That's not comfortable or cool We're making sure that there's representation across the board and that people feel comfortable talking about their experiences as the other at the table so that people who perhaps have privilege and exercise privilege uh, realize that they have the capacity to share their privilege with other people and to make the table inclusive and comfortable and to avoid microaggressions and avoid falling into using tropes and stereotypes in their games. And so we're working really hard to have that conversation as often as we can in as productive a fashion as possible. That's uh, really
0: great to hear because the it's these are things that I – you know, as a white person from suburbia that I never, uh, I never would have necessarily thought of on my own. Like I never would have said, you know, what in this picture doesn't belong, you know, like I just, it was just where I grew up. I mean, this is, this is, you know, I live out in the country and it's, you know, filled with white people, Um, you know, it's just the way it is, Um, but Thinking you know I had first started exploring the feminism issues with the entertainment industry, and um obviously, you know you come across uh channels like feminist frequency
1: right and and
0: the just hearing of the stories that goes into the video game uh, aspect of gaming and how badly some women can be treated not just as gamers but as game developers and it's really appalling and shocking sometimes that now we're just like oh yeah that's how it is you know Um, and you suddenly lose the shock where it's like just another day and comics has its own set of problems and then people start talking about racial diversity and lack, lack of sensitivity and lack of inclusion. And it was one of my friends who pointed out to me something that, again, I, I would not have noticed on my own, but watching, like, The Lord of the Rings and someone saying there's not, like, a single actor of color in there. And somebody said something about you can't have, like, you can't have a brown hobbit. And I'm like, that is really the most bizarre thing that I've never noticed and is so true. Like, why is, why is this stuff not done,
1: And because the conversations are happening, there are actually people who are saying, um, if a piece of game art is deliberately, consciously not sensitive to a feminist or an inclusive mindset, I'm simply not going to buy it. And so there's this momentum building where I really think in the next five years, we're going to see a significant shift in representation in game art, in Uh, the makeup of gaming companies. There are a lot of smaller publishers who are going out of their way to recruit people that are not part of the standard stable of, of content providers, right? And there's a lot of conversation about what contributes to people either feeling included or feeling like they can't. I'm having a conversation by email with somebody about the fact that there's this impression in the industry That because there is a gender divide in how, or there's, I can identify a difference between my female gaming friends and my male gaming friends about how we approach role-playing systems. And there's this impression that women write fluff and men write mechanics, and therefore women are just storytellers and they're writing fiction. They're not game designers. And I feel like there's a lot being done to challenge those impressions and those assumptions and to look at designing games in a way that takes them away from the big ponderous tomes and who says, okay, well, maybe you don't understand all of the math involved in board game design, but you've got this really cool concept, so let's connect you with a mentor who actually can help you with the math And, yes, you're still a game designer. The fact that you don't understand probability or probability makes your eyes cross doesn't prohibit you from being a game designer. And so I feel like a lot of those boundaries are coming apart because people are willfully taking them apart. Of course, there's still going to be things like access to the Internet and access to events and the time to invest in these design concepts. But in general, I feel like the hobby is opening up and I think that when we look back in five or 10 years, we're going to feel like last year was the dark ages.
0: Do you think that uh, the change that's coming, because it's, you sort of, like you said, you feel it coming. Do you feel like the change that's coming uh, for the, the newer generation will be because fundamental education is, is different and allowing and encouraging Young girls to explore the STEM programs that you know was always sort of not encouraged, even if it was passively not encouraged. It was you know, I mean, gone are the days where they just stick girls in home ec. I mean, that's what my mom went through.
1: Right? You know. Yes, but I I, I think that. um, So a friend of mine tells a story about the fact that at some point her her mom said to her, or you could become a doctor. And she stopped dead in her tracks and she turned and she stared at her mother and she went, or I could be a doctor. Huh. And someone had to actually say to her that that option was open because her pediatrician was male, her eye doctor was male, her dentist was male. And so it had never occurred to her that being a doctor, something a girl could do. And so, um, you know, in time, as we keep having this conversation, and we say, no, you really can be a game designer. Let's talk about what the barriers are. Let's talk about what it is you need to overcome. Let's talk about what the definition of a game is. Are you designing micro games? Are you playing around on Twine? That's kind of a game. Um, And so as the conversations happen and there's more you could being thrown around, I think more people will consider it and explore it and claim it as part of their identity It's definitely something that um just
0: because it was never my thing that I almost felt like you know being was we were part of the the first level. You know, I'm I'm over 40 and I feel like we were at the first level where they were um being a I don't know, maybe it was just my guidance counselor. My guidance counselor was a woman right. and I wanted to take auto shop. And instead she wouldn't let me take auto shop, but she stuck me in honors physics. Oh, so, okay. my Yeah, so my physics class, great, was, you know, maybe 50-50, boys to girls. But I didn't care. <laughs> I was just like, like okay, this is kind of cool. We're learning about how things collide. Okay, this is cool. I had a good teacher. It was fun. But I can't say I... Clicked with it. I mean, I can't say it was my thing that I ever wanted to further do on. Uh, and and a part of me wishes that I had that. I wish I had more interest because if I could be one of those people that you know like takes apart a crime scene, that would be like the coolest job ever, <laughs> right? But on you know, but I'd rather write about the person who takes apart the crime scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd rather
1: create a character
0: <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna do, do this instead of being the character.
1: So one of the one of the like tenants of social sciences is that you can't really analyze an era or a movement while you're in the middle of it because there's too much moving and it's hard to see what the influences are until you've got, you know, a decade to step back and look at it and the space of objectivity. And so I think that predicting where things are going is going to be really hard because there's all this conversation, but I don't really know how the um how it's going to fall out because if we had talked during the 70s about what was coming for women, the idea that in 2014 you and I would be discussing the fact that women were still being discouraged from in uh careers in STEM would be stupefying. Because women really thought that we were on the brink of stepping into gender parity and into being treated as equals and being able to make our own choices. And the study of the feminist backlash that happened in the late 70s and early 80s is really interesting because if you look at where we were going, where we ended up doesn't match. And so I am really hopeful that we finally get to what we were, what our parents were expecting when we were born, what our parents expected when we went into kindergarten, because that isn't what we got. You know, that's not where we ended up. And the fact that, uh, you know, over the last five years or so, I've been picking apart my own experience in the gaming industry and realizing that gender, has had an impact and that my perception of myself because of my gender and because of socialized norms means that I accepted people talking over me and beating me up with a rules book metaphorically instead of standing my ground and saying, okay, that, that may be the type of game that you want to play, but I'm going to go over here and play a game where the book is less important than the human components of the game. And so I, I'm I'm really hopeful that we really do get there. I am hesitant to make uh, predictions. I know that things are changing. I hope they end up in a place where, you know, we end up with women physicists who are working on the hadron uh, particle collider who come and run board games about particle colliding. You know, I really hope that's where we are in ten years. That'd
0: be cool. It's, you know, I was just doing a bunch of research on Amelia Earhart and, you know, seeing these um, women in history that we just aren't really discussed. I mean, there were a significant number of female pilots that, you know, and you've heard of one.
1: Right. I grew up on Air <laughs> Force bases and I, other than Amelia Earhart, I could name you exactly zero female pilots. That's yeah. just devastating.
0: Yeah. and I And I imagine that the worlds of science are exactly the same way because it was the way the processes were like the process was against you that you couldn't even submit a paper without a man's name being on it
1: right
0: so um you know people just you know these women of history that we owe things to we don't even know that we owe them respect and, and gratitude. So you know. I'm going to
1: do a shout out to Lillian Cohen Moore. and I-, I love her. Okay, so her oral history project, Makers, Schemers, and Dreamers, is an oral history project about women in the gaming industry. And she is working on bringing those stories forward and making sure that the contribution of women who perceive themselves because they ended up in administrative roles or support roles themselves, so, Or even, you know, they started out as copy editors, and then they took apart a book and rewrote it and made it manageable. Or they, you know, they wrote setting, and so they got relegated to fluff, and so they didn't view themselves as contributors to the gaming industry. Um, she's working on, or even they didn't get bylines, because they were women, and the men in the group took the bylines, and they didn't fight tooth and nail. Um, and so I think that everybody should be keeping an eye on Lillian's projects because she's just she's doing something really profound and digging through the edges and the forgotten history of the gaming industry and really making sure that the contribution of women in this profound, transformative art form do not get lost.
0: I, I, she's been a guest on Vodka Clock before, and I, we we interact on Twitter, and she is a just very easy to ask questions to. That's one thing, right, you know, right off the bat. Um, so if anybody wants to ask her, uh, you know, her opinion on either gender issues or just the you know something interesting about gaming, if you have any of those, she's really just the person to go to. Um, her her Twitter is Lily or it. L I L Y O R I T. Um and I know that she's also involved in this new type of sort of like a game. Sort of I don't know if it's if it's a game or what it is, but that um Storium. Storium. Yeah. Like,
1: I would describe it as a storytelling platform.
0: Okay. Because it's uh it's dynamic and it's takes, you know, interaction and contributions from with other people. So it's almost like just taking the campaign part of stories without having to worry about, you know, what your, you know, I guess point system is. Right.
1: I'm, I am so excited as a native multimedia storyteller who has run a multimedia campaign that has used text and face-to-face and tabletop. I'm so excited by the story of Model because it's, it takes what people were doing natively with uh, online role playing and takes it up a level and I'm super excited by it. And yeah, I've I've been, I actually backed story for two reasons One, they were at Metatopia with us and I was really excited by what I saw and then Lillian's advocacy for it. I was like, you know what, if she's this excited, I need to get involved and I need to be on the ground floor. That's so cool. That's so cool.
0: Let's um, wrap this up, Abby, with some key information from you. Where can people find you on the Internet or find information about Double Exposure and buy their tickets and stuff?
1: So the website is Dexposure.com. It's Dexposure.com. You can follow links from the homepage. If, for some reason, any of our links are not working, try changing your browser Uh, We discovered earlier this week that we're having a browser conflict with one update from, I think it's Firefox. Uh, So we are in Morristown, New Jersey, from Wednesday, July 2nd through Sunday, July 6th. Uh, Please pre-register because then we know you're coming and you can sign up for games in advance. All of the instructions for doing that are on the website. If you have any questions or concerns, drop email to DexCon17 at DexPosure.com. Uh, We are tied to our email between now and the convention opening. So we will see it. We will respond. Um, You can find me at Twitter at Avanel, A-V-O-N-E-L-L-E. And I am Avanel at Dexposure.com if you have any questions and you want to get in touch with me for any follow-up. If you are a female game designer or a game designer from any uh, disadvantaged populations, and you want to get involved, you're a gamer of color, you are trans or gender fluid, and you want to come out to the convention, or you want to come out to Metatopia, drop me a line and we'll work something out.
0: Thank you so much, Abby. This has been such a pleasure.
1: It's my pleasure, Amber.
0: All right. I will be seeing you very soon in a couple of days. Um, you guys, uh, you can follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter as well. Everything else is, of course, at amberunmasked.com. And uh, I'll be bringing you some uh, recaps of my time that I, the little bit of time that I get to spend at Dexcon. Because uh, I'll be, I will not be 24-hour gaming. I will be at my day job. <laughs> so thanks, as always, for listening, everybody. Cheers.